Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're going to start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so we're going to be doing a lot of scripture reading this morning. The title of the message is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And as believers, a majority of you know Jesus as your Savior. You have a testimony. You're going to see and hear Paul's testimony on various occasions. I encourage you, as I have over the years, get used to your testimony, especially doing it with two minutes or less. Uh, Sometimes in a store, you don't have long. Uh, You might be on the street, whatever the case may be. But get used to sharing your testimony. It's so vital. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your son. And we know he's seated at your right hand. But Lord, I thank you for these young adults and the time and effort they put into this and just lit, bringing the scriptures alive. What a blessing, Lord. Thank you and praise you for that inspiration. And your word is alive. Your word says that. It's alive. It's powerful, sharper than a two-edged soul because it cuts into our spirit. It cuts into our soul. It cuts into our personality to reveal a need for a Savior. So Lord, we pray for anyone who's with us this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior yet. We pray that they'd realize that you love them, you sent your son to die for them, that they can spend eternity with you with the free gift of salvation. So Lord, stir them via your Holy Spirit to receive Jesus at the end of this service, to not put it off another day. I pray for the gift of teaching, and Father, that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, of the good news. And the good news is called the gospel. The gospel. There's a lot of bad news out there today. Just turn on the radio or the TV, social media. The good news is, as I've already prayed, um, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And if you desire to receive Jesus today, you will become a son or a daughter of God. That's the good news. You can have peace with God. I preached to you before, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you, or keeps your salvation safe, if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. And Christ is not his last name, it's Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. So Jesus died for our sins, all the sins of humanity, for every sin of every Ukrainian, of every Russian. You pick a nationality, Jesus died for that person. Because there's only one race, it's called the human race. So as we approach 8 billion people, I just want you to know, we're not here out of religious obligation. We're here, most of us, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we desire, if you don't have one, to have one as well. And the first thing you need to know is that Jesus died for your sins. He literally did. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Notice, as the scriptures say. It's not about what Calvary Chapel says. It's about what does the Bible say. It's not about any 
religion what it said. What does the Bible say? He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So if you're here and you're a skeptic, Paul is writing this. Listen to what you just heard there. Listen, not just hear it, but listen. 500 people saw Jesus at one time, at one time. And many are still alive as Paul is writing this, he just said. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And we'll see that this morning in the scriptures. So I have a few questions. Is an eyewitness important to a court case? Is being on the scene of a crime or accident important to the outcome of a court case? Is someone who is familiar with the background of the facts important to a court case? You see, the questions are rhetorical questions that I just asked you. And a rhetorical question, that means they're questions that have an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is yes to all those questions. You see, when you have an eyewitness, someone who is in close proximity, and when you look up that word proximity, proximity means nearness in space, time, or relationship. Nearness in space, time, or relationship. So... When you have an eyewitness, someone who was in close proximity to the event that took place, the prosecutor tries to discredit that individual, which in our scenario would be Paul. Tries to take their testimony out of context, tries to twist their words to make them sound foolish, incompetent, untrustworthy, mistaken, bad memory. I think you get the picture I'm trying to paint here. See, when we look to the scriptures... Paul, at various times, was placed on trial. And over the last, uh, I'd say about 12 to 15 years, Christianity has been on trial. And it's becoming more and more intense. So for you and I as believers, it's important that we rehearse the scriptures to be encouraged and strengthened that you have a testimony. What's your testimony? You should be able to share your testimony with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You'll see why as we continue on. You see, he was placed on trial about his belief in Jesus being the Messiah, the the Christ, the Son of God. People tried to discredit him. Is that happening today with Christianity? Falsely accused him of wrongdoing. Mocked him. Even called him crazy at one point, which you'll see this morning. But he was an eyewitness, which makes his testimony very important and something that has to be dealt with. Let's look at Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. And again, if you're new and you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles um, in the chairs in front of you. If you look down, ask someone to hand you one. We encourage you to follow along, and the team always does a great job. Um, You want to get used to your paper Bible so that when they turn off the internet, you still have the ability to read your paper Bible. That'll never happen. Mm -hmm. Keep saying that. The next day, Acts 22.30, the next day because he, the commander, 
wanted to know for certain why Paul was accused of the Jews, the commander released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, probably due to his eye ailment. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. Now keep that in mind as we get into our story. So he's a Pharisee, and not just first generation, he's the son of a Pharisee. Very, very important. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 elders, and then this, the high priest would made 71 in case there was a tie. And they would pass judgment for situations that came amongst the nation. And I'm sure that you noticed the key point of contention in this story. It was the matter of the resurrection. It was the matter of the resurrection. You see, Paul had personally seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and now years later is sharing his testimony. When did you meet Jesus? I met Jesus in the spring of 78. Gene Galanka. He listened to Christian music. He said, praise the Lord. Not that this makes you a Christian. Just get the bigger picture. He loved Jesus. He spoke of Jesus as a friend with warmth in his heart and his soul. And that's what helped draw me to Jesus. I, I was actually seeing somebody just not being religious, but actually living it. Bumper stickers on his bumper, going to Christian concerts. I said, man, this, this is something different here. You see, you have a testimony. What drew you to Jesus? Who drew you to Jesus? You need to let that come out of your life so that people can realize, wow, there's no hope in Washington, D.C., but man, there's hope in your voice. I hear something in your voice that I don't hear on the radio. You actually believe this stuff, don't you? You see, Paul became a Christian. The story was true. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Let's look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Because now you just read where Paul was in front of the religious elite of the day. This would be the highest authorities in Judaism of that day. 
And now we're going to read a story where Paul stands before the Roman elite of his day, the highest authorities. Acts 26, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am accused by the Jews. Notice that being a Christian in America today is causing issues. And you are accused of certain things. Unless you're a secret Christian, which I encourage you not to be a secret Christian. Especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. So when you hear this phrase, Jews, 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 um, it's basically the religious elite of the day is what Paul's referencing. And in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus talks about the Jews. It's not all of Judaism. It's about the religious elite of the day who had the word of God because not everyone had the word of God. So they had the word of God. They could have searched the word of God. They could have known that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, like we studied last Sunday. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The hope found in the Old Testament. To this promise are 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should, it, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Again, what's the focal point? The resurrection. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Saul had tremendous authority. He was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. And here we see that this is ISIS taking place right here. Oh, you're a Christian? You believe Jesus is God? Dead. We're killing you for believing that. Hmm. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme or try to get them to deny that Jesus is God. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So as we go into this season of persecution, we don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to intensify. Don't take it personal. They're persecuting Jesus. Just love on them. Let them see your face as they saw the face of Stephen, like the face of an angel. Have that peace that surpasses understanding, knowing that God has a plan. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. So this is very important if you're new or visiting or you're not familiar with the faith. There's two groups of people on the face of the earth. If you have Jewish blood in you, then you're a Jew. If you don't have Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile. Forget every other nationality, according to the word of God. And according to Jews today, Orthodox Jews, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's all there is to it. Which is very important as you read the scriptures. For God so loved the world. He loves the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. Loves the whole world. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open key point here, guys. Why do we sell, why do you people get together and celebrate resurrection? What's the matter with you people? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Were any of you ever in darkness? The rest of you are lying and you're still in darkness. If you're a believer, every hand should have went up. So let me try that again. Were any of you ever in darkness? I mean, come on, guys. We were going to hell. No matter how good you thought you were, you were going to hell without Jesus. That's not me. That's according to the scriptures. Don't blame me. Blame God. Take it up with God. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first of those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should, what? Repent. So if you're here this morning, the word repentance or repent, it means to turn from. So in other words, I was on a highway to hell. Famous song once said, I knew I was going there. Because I was a religious person, went to church every single Sunday, punched the clock. I knew I was running from God, and I knew I was going to hell. But due to that witness, somebody's witness, it caused me to realize, but I don't want to go to hell. But I could never be good enough. The rules, all the rules in the church. And this friend said, you know what? It's not about rules. It's about relationship. And if you receive Jesus as your Savior, you're going to go to heaven. I go, That's it? That's, it's, that's easy? Yes, just repent. Turn from your that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Or another way of saying that, show fruit of repentance. So those things that I used to do, through the Holy Spirit, I was able to turn from those. And the friends that I used to do it with were no longer my friends because I was, got religious and I'm fun, not fun anymore. But I had to love on them and witness them the best of my abilities. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets, notice what Paul says, the prophets and Moses said would come. Not the things that Calvary Chapel says or any denomination say. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? that the Christ would suffer and that he would be first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. 
You're crazy. You're nuts. Much learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. The last two years, has there been truth and reason? Out the door. Your word? It hasn't changed the last two years, has it? Chapters haven't been rearranged. Books haven't been rearranged, unless you tore them out. The Bible's still there, all intact, with truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention. Since this thing was not done in a corner. This wasn't done in Queen Creek. This was done in Jerusalem. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, listen, out of a simple man's testimony, the only time that we know of that Paul stood before him, how many minutes did it take me to read that? Four or five? Your testimony can impact people's lives. You're planting, you're watering, you're fertilizing. And look what happens with King Agrippa who just listened to the sincerity of Paul's heart. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. I hope he received Christ. We'll find out when we get to heaven. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. So notice a few things about Paul's testimony here. One, as Paul mentioned in front of the Jewish authorities, he was a Pharisee, so Agrippa would have known what that meant. But he was also the son of a Pharisee. And one of the requirements of becoming a Pharisee was that you had to have memorized word perfect the first five books of the Bible. Word perfect. Leviticus. <laughs> Numbers. Word perfect. How do you think we got the Bible? Well, let me check my computer. No, 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 no. They rehearsed this and rehearsed it and rehearsed it and memorized it. And they had to have it word perfect or they could not be of that caliber because they were going to be judging all of Israel according to their own feelings? No. Going back to the word. Back to the word. So they had to have the word up here that they might take the word to the people. Now, as a Pharisee, he would have held a very important position in the Jewish religion and in the overall society as a whole at that time. He would have been very respected, even admired as one of the religious elite of his day. Society would have taken note of this man. And his testimony would have easily been dismissed if these things that he was sharing were not so. So since these things were true and are still true, even within our own society today in regards to respect, I'm speaking of, we need to evaluate his testimony that would have been based upon being alive. Think about this. Alive when Jesus walked the earth. He knew, he knew that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. As you read your scriptures, it clearly says, huh, Lazarus is alive? Now we got two problems, Jesus, and now we got to kill Lazarus. Paraphrasing it, it's in the scriptures. You read it. 
Paul being a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, if he wasn't a part of the Sanhedrin, he was intimately involved with the Sanhedrin for sure. He could have been one of those religious elite that mocked Jesus while he was on the cross. He would have surely heard all about the miracles of Jesus. Healing lepers, which is still today impossible. They can stop it, but they can't heal it. Curing blind people from birth, impossible. Hearing from birth, the lame. He knew all these things had taken place. He was most likely present when the disciples witnessed about Jesus before the Sanhedrin on several occasions. You see, he was not some hick. Someone that was not aware of the scriptures or not in tune with the society as a whole. He was very in tune. This man was at the center of society and he knew what was taking place as we've already seen through his own testimony. Let's look at Acts 13. Acts 13, 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Acts 13, 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on, speak up, let us hear it. Verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who reverence God, the word fear there is reverence, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. I like that. Put up, it's like doing with kids. I'm going to put up with you. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Cana, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Verse 22. And when he had removed him... He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. I'm not the Messiah. Not the Christ, the anointed one. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren... Paul now says, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, Paul speaking even about himself, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Here's the resurrection again. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 
And we declare, declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. And they believe that they have the bones of David in Jerusalem to this very day. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified, just as if you never sinned, from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So if you're here today and you think you're a good person, the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. Yeah, you might be good. To somebody else's standard, yeah, you might be really good. But have you ever sinned? Uh, Yeah. Well, then you're not good because Jesus never sinned. So that's the standard. If you've sinned once, you're not good. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken of prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. You keep, so now you understand? You keep, that's why I had to explain it. Jews, Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles. Where's he going? Well, he's going to the Jews and then he's going to the Gentiles. He's going to humanity. He's going to all of humanity. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, so Gentiles that converted to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear what? The word of God, guys. Please read from Revelation from Genesis to Revelation. Please have a daily devotional life so that you hear the whole word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Why was that it? Because they had the word of God. So yes, we needed to come to you first because you, you literally had the word of God. But since you reject it, since you reject the word of God, you're not rejecting me, you're, you're rejecting the word of God. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And here we are in Queen Creek. Used to be the ends of the earth, now it's getting packed. Almost 2,000 years later, hearing the truth of that resurrection story. So let's go back to the beginning as we get ready to wrap this up. Is an eyewitness important to a court case? Is being on the scene of a crime or accident important to the outcome of a court case? Is someone who is familiar with the background of the facts important to a court case? 
Again, obviously. Obvious answer to these questions. And with that little bit of information that you've all received this morning, an obvious question needs to be asked. What do you believe about Jesus and the resurrection? You have to make a decision. You have to. You've got an eyewitness testimony that is absolutely credible. Absolutely. What are you going to do with Paul's testimony? I encourage you to make the right choice this morning and receive Jesus as your Savior. Yesterday, the Spanish ministry had an outreach here and invited anyone to come. And they worked so hard, and I commend them for working so hard. And they did a wonderful job. And at the end of the day, one of the greatest things that you could ever hear that I heard this morning at the sunrise service, I just go, praise God, you guys. A person received Jesus as their Savior yesterday afternoon. Amen. Amen. All the work is well worth that one soul that now knows to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. I want to encourage you if you're an unbeliever here this morning. This past week we had a friend, 61 years old, no health issues that we know of, no high blood pressure, not on any medication, 61 years old. His wife heard him gasping for air in the middle of the night. And he died of a massive heart attack. Gone. We're all going to die, guys. As an unbeliever, you're going to die. Your eternity is at stake. Not mine. I know where I'm going. Most people in this room, they know. They're bound for heaven. But we love you enough to tell you the truth. You might not want to hear it. You might not like it. That's okay. I'd rather tell you the truth and you not like it than not tell you the truth at all. Because eternity is at stake, guys. Well, we're in it right now. That brother, and he knew Jesus as his Savior, that brother just took the final step. Which we all will take the final step. It'll either be into heaven or it will be into hell. God sends nobody to hell. We choose to go there ourselves by rejecting the good news, the gospel. Don't reject it. Not asking you to join Calvary Chapel. Just offering you the free gift of salvation. Father, we thank you and praise you for the morning. Lord, we serve, Father, we serve a risen Lord, a risen Savior. And we thank you so much because we were all in darkness. We were all heading to hell. There's no one good. No, not one. And that's why you sent your son, Jesus, to die for all of humanity. For every Russian, every Ukrainian. Every American, whatever nationality, whatever nation we want to put out there, you sent your son to die for every single person. Lord, we thank you for that, that you're not partial. No, for God so loved the world. You love every single person, and no one can deny that. So, Father, we just lift up right now as saints, as the saints start to pray in the spiritual world, that spiritual realm of deception. Father, we lift up those who are not saved this morning. They've heard the testimony. And I know your Holy Spirit is working right now in this room and working on hearts, working on minds. And they're evaluating, this is nonsense. No, this makes a little sense. Father, that's the Holy Spirit. I thank you for that. So if that's you this morning, as people around you, or their eyes are closed and they're praying, they don't know if you're saved or not. They're just praying. God knows if you're saved or not, and so do you. 
So you have to make the decision. I can't make it for you. Nobody's going to twist your arm. It's between you and God. But if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior right here, right now, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Don't get hung up on the prayer. It's not about the prayer. It's about your heart. And if you pray this prayer in sincerity, God hears it, and you will become a son. You will become a daughter. He sends nobody to hell. We reject it ourselves. I encourage you not to reject it. Just pray this simple prayer. God, thank you for Paul's witness. Thank you for his testimony. God, I know I'm a sinner. Which means I need a savior. So God, I repent. I I turn to you. And I ask you to forgive me. And God, I invite Jesus into my life. And I invite the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within me. I don't know what that means. But I trust you're going to show me. You're going to show me through the word. You're going to show me through prayer. You're going to show me through Bible-believing Christians. You're going to show me through the church. And even as Jesus spoke to Saul, you're going to teach me. So God, I thank you for accepting me just the way I am. And I'm going to allow you to clean me up. And I say now, thank you that I can call you my father. Abba, daddy. And I am now your son. I am now your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this wonderful resurrection day. Lord, as we go forth, whatever our day holds, we don't know what the future holds, but we thank you that you hold the future. So Lord, whatever happens this day, help us to just keep looking up. Whatever takes place this week, Lord, we pray that we'd be a bright light, a good, faithful witness. Lord, give us the opportunity to share our testimony with someone, to give them the living hope that's not going to come out of D.C., It's not going to come out of any country. It only comes from the cross. So fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we'll be ready to give every person a reason for the living hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He is risen. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.